Hi, I'm Michaela Loach. And I'm Rebecca. And this is the Yikes Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Yikes podcast. Um, we are so excited because today we have a guest on um, who Jo knows quite well, so I'll let Jo introduce her. Yes, um, today we have on Jess Malley. She's a London-based anti-racism educator, writer, speaker, podcast host, creative events producer, consultant, and much more. Overall, just absolute legend. Um, we are introducing in the podcast like how he, uh, she and I met, um, and we're super excited to have her speak to us about general anti-racism in the UK and so we literally talked about so many things I cannot express how good this conversation was sorry to hype up our own conversations but Jess is amazing <laughs> and she's incredible we talked yeah. about like um, the the whitewashing of what Dr King had to say we talked about the, the British legacy of colonialism we talk about like how we can compare how the kind of the UK sees racism to therapy mm. and just and met black mental health just so Art, many resistance oh gosh civil was, rights yeah so many things why why resistance is necessary just like mm-hmm. so many incredible things um usually we do try and define some th- things before we start but i feel like we actually defined a lot of the terms mm-hmm. in this episode but if you do still feel like we want to make these conversations accessible so if there's anything that you don't get or understand always have a google along as we're listening as we shouldn't run away from things just because we don't fully understand it we should engage with that content instead um so we hope that you learn so much hope you engage hope you were inspired and motivated i know that i was from having this conversation um so we'll just jump right into the episode hi everyone uh we are so excited for our guest today jess uh, so excited to have you, Jess. Hello. Um, just as a wee introduction, um, Jess and I recently met um, online doing a civil resistance online course. <laughs> as you um, do. <laughs> as you do. Um, it was hosted by Andre Henry and Lauren. 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 <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren. We forgot your last name. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Um, um, yeah, and it was basically like a civil resistance course kind of looking at different forms of activism, uh, strategy, campaigning, using different tactics. Uh, we were assigned a city and then within our little group, you know, just toppled fascism in New York City, <laughs> as you do at 3 a.m. for us because of the time zones. Um, yeah, so this is how Jess and I made, uh, met. Uh, super exciting. Um, yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about like why you wanted to join that course? Like what made you join and how did you find everything? And yeah. Yeah, I mean, the course was amazing. I've been um, drawing from things that we learned in it so much already in some of the work I do. Um, I wanted to join the course. To be fair, I think I can't remember when the application went out it was quite a while ago wasn't it when you could like submit mm. and then didn't hear about it for a while and kind of forgot that I had sent my application for it and then eventually <laughs> um I think it was so timely when they told us that we would be able to join the course and that the course was going ahead it was such a in such a crucial moment in time obviously over the last six months um 
or seven months or who knows what month it is right now. I don't know what month it is right now. Um, And yeah, so I joined the course because I've always been passionate about social change. And um, I've always, I mean, when I, when I finished school, like, which is a long time ago, uh, when I finished school, that's why I went to study sociology, you know, like I'd, I wanted to, um, wanted to understand how society functions because my belief is that if we understand how people function, how we function together, oh. how society, uh, how society oh, no. functions, then we can actually bring change. If we don't understand that, then we can't change it. Um, passionate about that and just, yeah, followed Andre Henry for a while, listened to so many different podcasts, um, mm-hmm. his own podcast, Hope and Heart Pills, um, and, and other podca- podcasts that he's been on. So when I saw the course was happening, I was like, no brainer. And then of course, you know, the, the most, the timely thing was, even though I had applied for the course before everything kicked off. Obviously, in in light of the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, there was a cry for racial justice that wasn't sort of just in the U.S., but it was everywhere. And obviously, living in London um, and calling London home, calling the U.K. home for the last 11 years, um, I felt that I wanted to contribute to how we can sort of you know, mobilize and galvanize the black community here in the UK. So I thought if there's a course that's going to help me do that, Mm. I'm going to do the course, basically. Yeah. Mm. Joe spoke so much to me about all of this and also about you. She's been (laughs) gushing about you like all the time. So I'm really excited to like virtually meet you. Um, (laughs) But I also, one thing that I'm interested in is like, what does civil resistance mean to you? So like when you saw that there was a course on civil resistance, like what does that mean? I think, um, the the reason I liked the title was because it it made me feel empowered. I think very often in the time that we live in, um, it, it's so easy it's so easy for us to feel disempowered in terms of how the media um, narratives are spun, in terms of how you know we're being force fed things all the time to believe or not to believe, to do or not to do, and whatever you think of you know, COVID, whatever you think of the rules, whether you think they're good or bad or whatever, it is something that we're being force fed. And so when I hear a term like civil resistance, there's something in me that stands up and goes, yeah, hold on one second. You know, the, we, we say we live in democracies. We say we live in, um, in systems. And I say we say because there's a lot to be said about whether or not our uh, systems actually run properly, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but a democracy is about people power and yet we've not seen mm. um people take hold of their power in that way for a long time and so civil resistance to mm. me means that actually people take hold of their power again in critical masses um resisting this idea that somehow there is an elite that can decide the fate of our lives. Like, you know, the whole point of democracy was that it was a representation of the people. But if we look at Western democracies, the reality is it is it has become just another version of an elite trying to dictate the way life goes, especially in the UK. If you think about how people get into, most people get into politics, 
the schools they go to, mm. the information they're being fed, etc. You know, um, so civil resistance excites me um, because mm. it's about educating people so they can take back mm. their power. I love that. Yeah. And I think, mm. I mean, I guess for me also, like doing this course really just like brought home again, like the like how many pathways of activism or civil resistance there are, you know, particularly like being in the UK, being in lockdown or whatever, and then like looking over to the US and like for me definitely came up of like, I want to, I wish I was there. I wish I was, you know, at the front line with you being able to like use my, my able body and like my privilege and able to like, you know, be a shield or in so many different ways. And then thinking of like, well, even though we are in the UK and the UK has, I don't know, has different ways of doing activism and like has different, you know, battles, but also kind of the same battles in different forms and a lot more insidious maybe in some ways. Um, the UK, because it's so easy for us, or like, I guess like for me, I saw it this year, like so many people love to look to the US and, and showing up for in solidarity when then, when we look at our own ground, you know, um yeah and, and so for me I guess like doing this course as well and like seeing how other people use their their voices and like you um I mean maybe you want to speak to us a little bit also like how you're using art and poetry and music in in a form that to me seems like civil resistance I don't know if you see it as that yeah. um but like to me it was like okay hey like actually like there are so many different ways of reclaiming like my my power and my and like also showing other people like look at me, I have power and I'm here to, you know, stand my ground and, and like join me. Um, yeah, I think um, you, you touched on a couple of really interesting things there. So I think the one thing is, you know, obviously one of the things I do is I run anti-racism workshops um, and I do anti-racism education here in the UK. And what's always the biggest hurdle um, to get over in those conversations is that people are so convinced that things are so much better here than they are in the US. And there's this mm. constant comparison of, well, but at least we're not shooting people. Mm. You know, it's it's like that the bar is ridiculously low because that shouldn't mm. be what we compare ourselves again. Uh, against and so you know that that is a, a big part of the work is actually helping people face um the realities of a the status quo that we live in and statistics will show us that racism is alive and well in this country mm. um mm. but also facing the history because i think that's one of the biggest problems like in, mm. in a previous course someone asked me they asked why do you think um the UK is not really moving forward in the same way around racism or isn't as loud about it maybe as as the US. And I said, I think it's because just as an outsider looking in, the idea of this great British empire is still so ingrained within people and anything mm -hmm. that could make, give that a bad rep, mm -hmm. you know, is... um is seems scary to people, but there's a quote that I, that I love to use in that context. And I came across it when I was in New York a couple of years ago at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And the quote goes, it says, why must we remember? Is this but a council of vengeance and hate? God forbid. We must remember because if once the world forgets evil, evil is reborn. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think in the context of, you know, facing racism here and like stopping the finger pointing and going, actually, there's so much work to do here. Because I get what you're saying. I have family in America. So a lot of the time when I see what's going on, I'm like, I just want to be there. Like, I just want to, you know, be on those front lines. But then actually to go, no, this is my home. And there is a battle here and I have Mm. to help people face what's going on here, help them understand that remembrance is not about pointing fingers or making you feel bad, but it's about not allowing evil to be reborn. Mm. And then I think Mm. the other thing to the other part of your question is um, absolutely, I think civil resistance comes in so many ways. And I think it starts by, you know, often people feel disempowered because they're like, well, but what impact is my thing going to make? You know, what what impact? But at the end of the day, impact is not quantity, it's quality. Like if, and it's something we learned in the course, isn't it, about the spectrum of allies. Like if, if I can contribute to move one person along to becoming an active ally, then I've had an impact. And so for me, art is massive in it. Like, you know, obviously Young King is a piece that that we recently um, shared with the world and that kind of speaks to the narrative around black men and because the only way we're going to see change is if there's a critical mass of people that is educated and empowered and I think as artists and creatives we can play a part in educating so that then activists and obviously a lot of people are both but then other people who are trying to galvanize and mobilize can then mobilize and educate a critical mass. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, mm. that's kind of my There are so many things I want to like pick up on and what you said. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you're saying things, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. Like, but we, especially what you were saying about um, like there's the history in the UK not being addressed and like the empire, not, but the empire's not even like ignored. It, it is celebrated. Like, oh, massively. Even how, yeah, the other day how Marcus Rashford was made an MBE and like obviously I love him. I think Marcus Rashford is an amazing like exceptional human being um but it's wild that like I don't know like I found it really I don't know how to articulate it in the best way but like I found it really uncomfortable that like a, a black man who's experienced a lot of racism in this country is then having to celebrate being told that he's a member of the British Empire absolutely <laughs> like oh it's crazy it's just like yeah I don't know the fact that yeah the fact that our awards are still all of them mean like order of the British Empire or member of the British Empire like all of it's like when we celebrate people we have to celebrate empire at the same time still and it's just like yeah ah! and it's it's funny because um someone asked me about the whole like toppling of the statues right and um and and my response was that you, you can never look at one incident out of context. You have to look at the bigger mm-hmm. picture. And mm-hmm. the reality is, had history been taught holistically for the last 50 years, we probably wouldn't feel the need to topple statues right mm-hmm. now because we would have had decades of acknowledging both sides of the coin, having healthy understanding of, yep, I mean, using Winston Churchill as an example, he was definitely racist because we have quotes and things that he said Mm -hmm. when he ran again in whatever the early 50s like he wanted the slogan to be keep britain white okay we have proof Mm -hmm. so he was definitely racist however had we taught that alongside the fact that he led the country through the second world war and that you know he contributed to the nazis being toppled etc 
then now we could hold the tension of both and, mm. and we could go, do you know what? It's both true. We don't have to put this person on a pedestal. We can face history for what it was. The reason we're wanting to topple statues right now is because that never happened. Mm. And because a picture was painted of something that just simply isn't true in that way. And there's a cry now for enough is enough. And so I think what you're saying about like Marcus Rashford and the whole OB and MB and whatever bees um, <laughs> is, is so true because it feels so disingenuous. It feels so it still feels like, look at the honor of being welcomed into this thing, but I'm not honored mm. to be welcomed into this thing because this thing actually brutalized people groups for centuries. Mm. <laughs> and that's the only reason that thing exists. So yeah, it's a tricky one for sure. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, I definitely remember in my undergrad, we, in history, we looked at colonialism and it was in Scotland and we looked at German and French colonialism and of course and you know just like when we when I ask of like why we why I mean this is good that we're looking at this but like why are we not looking at British colonialism and half of the room didn't know that Britain did colonialism Holy guacamole. and that, there were five people who literally thought the British Empire still existed <gasps> wow and, and that's like, in your undergrad so that's people who are like fairly educated right mm. and like and I was like, the bar is so low. It's mm. so low that like, and you know, and then there was obviously a question of like, oh, you are German. Surely you don't, you're asking this question because you don't want to talk about German colonialism. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, no, is, yeah. that's what I meant. You know, it's really good we're talking about this. Um, and I think that's also like what you were saying earlier of like, you know, we need to be looking at the battles we are facing here because yes. I recently read this quote of like, it is so white settler to just leave and abandon the land that you have polluted and you have destroyed. Mm, yeah. And, you know, and like, I mean, this was around Indigenous People's Day and like a lot of people saying, you know, like, oh, if Trump gets reelected, I'm going to leave the US. Like, where are you going to go? Where are you going to yeah. now, you know, restart new acts of colonialism? Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about, about like how like that is, you know, like we can't abandon these battles that like my ancestors, that was like literally their dreams. We are, you know, like we are facing the dreams of my ancestors. So for me to abandon those battles now, like mm. I am... I'm fulfilling their dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's, there was, um, I mean, the Black Curriculum posted recently saying that 86.2% of people in the UK learn about the Tudors and only 6.7% learn about British colonialism of Africa. I was even surprised that six that 7.6% learn about colonialism. <laughs> I was like, I didn't learn that. Yeah. Um, also, and whenever I did learn about um, any like kind of British history like that involves like black communities, it was only about, well, not even British history actually, I only ever learned about the civil rights movement in the US or the transatlantic slave trade. And it, whenever they talked about the transatlantic slave trade, the only time that they dip into the British part of it, they were like, we started the like abolishing slavery. And then and then I read Natives by Carla in like my more adult life. And I was like, wait a minute. No, you, no we didn't. <laughs> like, no. Wasn't that no. like Haitian revolutions? Like, yeah. I know. It's actually crazy because when you think about it and you really like face the facts, the reality is what America carried into the later years was brought to the Americas by Europeans. And specifically, if you look at like Virginia for 150 years was part of the British empire, which is where slavery flourished. And, um, 
it, it, it's so funny because when you th- there's so many brilliant programs. So anybody listening who wants to know more, like you know, watch um, uh, watch uh, Black and British the series on BBC iPlayer if you don't want to read the book. Watch Alt History again, BBC iPlayer. It's all David Odusoga and his his gang. Um, there's so much gold in there, just talking about all these things. But it's it's fascinating to me because I think this you know this quote that that I mentioned earlier. It's so true because ultimately what happened is racism was never resolved. It's only ever evolved. And because we never faced, and when I say we, I think there's something to be said for other European countries as well. Like are the Portuguese facing how they freaking, you know, perfected um, the the slave trade and colonialism? Probably not. So when I say we are, I talk about Europe as a whole. And I do think that until that is faced, we're going to struggle to see real change Mm. because, Mm. you know, facing our past on a micro level for me as an individual, if I don't face my past and the things that have influenced me in my childhood and trauma and whatever, if I don't face it and process it, whether I like it or not, it's going to impact my behaviors. It's going to impact my relationship, my relationships. Mm. So it sounds like I'm talking about a particular relationship. I'm not, in <laughs> fact, talking about one particular relationship. Everybody, in case you're wondering, I'm very single. Kidding. Um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? If that is true for yeah. my micro reality as an individual where I know unless I deal with trauma and therapy, unless I face things and revisit my behaviors that doesn't make me a bad person. It just, it's, it's the way things are. Mm. And if that's true for me as an individual, it's true for us as a collective. It's true for nations. Mm. It's true for society. Yeah. And when you were talking as well about how, like, um, the differences between British racism and American racism, yeah. and then talking about like not addressing your trauma and it becoming refined. This always makes me think of a quote from Andre Henry, who ran your course. Where yeah. I was watching a live. I remember it was in, it was in the summer it was like really late because obviously it was US time and I saw like Andre Henry's joined alive and I ran towards him. <laughs> yep. And I've now quoted the, the same club. quote. Yeah, I was, yeah, such a fan girl. But I've now quoted the same quote so many times since and I'm kind of like, why has he not written a whole book about this? But like he talks about how, um, like when we say like that we, but basically people are basically arguing about technique around racism. They're being like, we don't racism this way, we racism that way. And that means you're not actually saying that you don't like racism or that you want to get rid of racism. You're just saying, I don't like how they racism. I prefer our style of racism. And that's how racism gets refined. And that's how I see British racism is it's like very refined racism. It's racism that they don't, that like, that they're, that people are okay with. They're like, oh, but it's still harming people. So like I'm a medical student and I've studied medical racism quite a lot last year and a huge impact on like the health of, of black women and especially black women, like what a lot of the studies are done on, but also on black men and just black people in general is stress and like how that impacts your health and microaggressions have been proven to cause you significant stress. And so when people make out like, oh, wait a minute. Well, like when people make out, you should be grateful that you're not being like violently attacked in the street, but you we're experiencing other types of racist violence. Absolutely. Um, they're not actually dispelling that and th- th- there is still harm being done. Um, and you're so right talking about it in like therapies. If you're not, if you don't work through something, then it's the problem still exists. It just looks in a different way. And that's why we need to dispel all types of it. It can't just be like, we like this type of racism. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. We had a, um, we had a screening last night of a film um, called The Dark Mind 
Um, and um, the film is basically about mental health in the black community. Uh, everybody mm. should go and follow at a dark mind film. Um, and um, it, it it's exactly that. Like one of the key stigmas and one of the key um, reasons for mental ill health in the black community is racism. It's how mm. people are being treated. It's how, mm. you know, it's microaggressions, it's gaslighting, but it's also layers of trauma. Like I think what is so often, um, and you would know this and what you studied, but it's, you know, it's, it's so often forgotten that actually we've been firefighting for centuries now. Like our mm. ancestors have been firefighting for centuries. We've not had the time and the space to stop and look at healing. And mm. that that brings layers. We know now that trauma lives in the body. We know that whilst it doesn't necessarily change DNA, it changes the way DNA expresses, like with epigenetics and all of that. So we know that obviously most studies are being done with like, I don't know, Irish settlers and Holocaust survivors, which is important, but if it's true for those people groups, it's true for those who were enslaved for, I mean, in Britain on colonies, I always say when I talk to people, I say British slavery, the British slave trade um, lasted for 270 years. That is longer than it has actually been abolished for. Mm. So when people say, oh, but it, you know, it's been such a long time ago. I'm like, hold on one second. Everybody who suffered from it, both on the continent, by the way, we never talk about what the enslavement of Africans did to those who were left on the continent mm. and those who were enslaved. The impacts are here today. They're in my body. And so we have to address the past and deal with trauma and deal with the mental health consequences that our people have felt for such a long period of time. mental health within the black community is such like, a difficult topic I'd really want to watch that film I don't, hadn't heard of it so like I'm really interested to watch that because like I even see like I suffer from like mental health issues of my own and I do see how racism has played a huge part into why like I feel significantly anxious like a lot of the time and like loads of different things and I feel like it's, it is frustrating when when people talk about when the people reduce like um even mental health awareness to like oh be kind and oh, it's okay to not to be okay drives me and it's nuts. like what about yeah it's like what about um dismantling <laughs> like oppression yeah. <laughs> yeah like yeah what about that like yeah there are huge causes of like disparities in who experiences mental health issues and then even who feels like they can even talk about it because it gets so normalized i feel like i feel like a lot of mental health conditions and things get normalized within communities who are already oppressed because it's become like a normal thing to experience this like reaction to how you're being treated by society. And I guess there's also one aspect around like for like for me and other white people like now, you know, looking at racism and like almost being like, I mean, in movies or in different art forms or the way we talk like there's this focusing and this obsession around suffering rather yeah. than, mm -hmm. you know, also, yeah, trauma porn or like, and like 
So now seeing a lot more people like Michaela and I sometimes talk about, or like she talks about on her Instagram, like Black Joy, you know, like highlighting that like black black, black British history, for example, like it's not, it's not just the one aspect of, you know, like it's it's not a singular past. Like there's there's resistance, there's joy, there's art, there's it's everything, it's everything, and you know, it's the complexity that and um. So yeah, and I think I've seen that in your in your art and mm. in your pop, like as much as it is, you know, acknowledging and like highlighting and but it's it's everything as well. And that seems to be really challenging the way that like white supremacy is very much framing the way that we talk about racism again, you know. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important piece for us to understand. I think it's two things. One is this conversation is deeply layered, like it's so, so layered, you know, because I think that, you know, when we talk about mental health in our communities, there's all the layers of how we have internalized an anti-Black narrative, how we mm -hmm. have internalized, um, you know, things about us that have been put on us by whiteness. But then also in the context of, like you said, like talking about, um, you know, uh, black, black joy and, and all those layers. It's, it's finding the space where we as a community become, and it, it's unfair. Let me just, let me just establish that. We know it's unfair because we're always the ones who have to code switch and whatever, but the reality is, mm. it's finding that space where we go, like white people need to still understand racism. They still don't. Mm. And unfortunately, one of the ways they can learn to understand racism is by seeing the suffering and the harm that it costs. So they're almost behind on the journey. But what we need to be careful not to do is wait for them to come to our level to celebrate Black joy, to look at our lives holistically, mm. to mm -hmm. take the healing spaces and create the healing spaces that we need to create and understand that, yeah, they're probably still going to talk about suffering for the next 50 years, but we need to stop looking and identifying ourselves through the lens of whiteness. And that's so hard. Like, it's mm. something that I know I'm working through all the time, like being dual heritage and having grown up with a white family, mm. like... It's even a whole nother element to that. But if we need to, we need to stop looking at ourselves through the lens of whiteness when it comes to how we talk about ourselves, how we celebrate our communities, um, how we look at black joy, I think is yes. so, so important. Um, but yeah, it's so, so deeply layered. Like it's such a layered conversation. And I think the challenges as well, like with the internet and with social media and all of that, it's so hard to have nuanced conversations. Yes. Um, and so I think people shy away from saying things or, and understandably so, cause we live in cancel culture and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would just encourage anyone who really wants to understand, like you have to have nuanced conversations, like following someone mm -hmm. on social media or Twitter or whatever, which is also social media. I don't know why I said that separately. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm such a grandma. It's his own little world. Twitter is his own little little world. Yeah. Twitter is something else. Yeah, but we need to, I think there needs to be room for nuanced conversations. Now, do not hear me wrong. I'm not talking about debating racism or debating white supremacy. Mm. There's no nuance there. <laughs> it is what it is and it must be dismantled. But I think in terms of tactics and approaches and space that we mm. need within our within our communities, it has to be nuanced. 
Yeah, for sure. Like Joe and I have talked about this recently, especially around um like privilege. Like I've spoken to Joe about this and like how I feel like conversations around privilege, especially on social media, are just not nuanced to how privilege is a very complicated thing. Yep. Like it's so like because I was reading um Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Evaristo. There's a there's a good part in it. I can't remember in, I can't remember whose story it is, but they just addressed really quickly. They it's like a couple lines where they're just like they just talk about how privilege is really nuanced and complicated and it gets thrown around as this thing. Mm. And I was and ever since reading generally those like two lines, I've been thinking about this so much, but then it's so hard to express that on social media where there is uh, like no space for nuance, where the algorithm loves you to say, I totally hate this or I totally yeah. love this. Yeah. There's like no in between. Like people love when like it thrives on like drama and like high mm. drama. And that means if something is going to be like, actually, I'm not sure about this or like, actually this, there's a bit of a gray area here, like that we need to talk about. Um, no one wants to hear it because everyone just wants like the like, bam, bam, bam. But I feel like all of that, all that does is, it kind of links back to what you were saying about um, figures in history and like Winston Churchill and statues and stuff, because we've become so addicted to this kind of idea that everything is one one thing or the other. Yeah, super dualistic. Yeah, and that means, and all that does is, is prevent us from actually having like fighting oppression or like, or mm-hmm. it, it just holds back our collective struggle because we aren't actually ever seeing the full picture. And it, all it does is aid all these oppressive, oppressive systems because it oversimplifies everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wrote a, um, a piece for the good trade called The Dangers of Oppression Olympics. Um, mm. And I think, you know, you this, the, the challenge is this. I might go very deep for a second. <laughs> I think we love I think, it. <laughs> I think the challenge is that we live in a society and in a generation that we don't have very many healthy humans. Like not very many people are are sort of just healthy, like holistically, internally, in themselves in terms of knowing who they are, having a healthy self-awareness. You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm also not the worst thing in the world. I'm, I have some kind of, uh, having some kind of internal spiritual practices, if you want to call it that. <clears throat> we don't have very many people who live healthily when it comes to internal well-being. So you're having all these conversations and all these discussions on a world stage and on a stage based on people trying to build their own self-esteem, build their own reputation, having identity crisis, wanting to be seen. So before we even go into any of the systems of oppression, before we even identify the particular topics we're talking about, that's the foundation we're walking on. And that's a horrible foundation to be building anything Mm -hmm. on because if I'm having a conversation with someone that I know in real life that I have a relationship with and I come into that conversation from a place of low self-esteem, a need to be accepted, a need to be uh, heard and appreciated and because I'm trying for this other person to meet my needs because I'm not enough within myself the conversation is going to be problematic, right? Like we've all experienced this. Like if we have those types of conversations, it's going to be problematic. But that is what we're doing on a world scale at the moment. And so then you talk about something like privilege. And if we don't have people who are able to live in a both and in a non-dual space, you say something like white privilege and someone who grew up in a white working class family, like 
won't get enrolled because they're like, I don't understand what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Like I grew up in yeah. poverty. So mm-hmm. we need to be able to, and I, this is a challenge I put on myself when I do training and education. It's like my, my goal is to call racism out, but to call people in. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to enroll people in the conversation. And so when I talk to someone who's working class, white people who grew up in poverty, um, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, whatever. My conversation about white privilege is going to be different. White privilege mm-hmm. is still a thing, but my mm-hmm. goal isn't to make you say, oh yeah, I have white privilege. My goal is for you to understand that there are different dynamics at play because of the system we live in, because of the color of my skin that is different from yours. And then I'm going to explain to you how it plays out. But there's no room for that in a 150 character tweet. Yeah. So I think we mm-hmm. need to create spaces to have nuanced conversations. Mm. I think it's incredibly important. Hello. So the Yikes podcast is primarily supported by our wonderful patrons. Um, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's basically a platform that you can support creators to make content um, because we can't be fucked with capitalism. So sponsored yeah, ads. Sponsored ads. We do some sponsored ads, but yeah. usually um, most companies don't really support what we're doing. <laughs> if you are a company supporting our work and you're interested, shout out. Um, shout out to you. Yeah. But in general, we're, we want to be supported by our community because that means yes. we can talk about the things that we want to talk about. We aren't influenced in any way by anything. We just talk about the things that we think are important. And a lot of these mm. issues um, aren't really supported by many things. So that's why we're supported by you. We want to be owned by our community. Yeah. So if you do um, learn from us, you appreciate our work um, and this podcast, then um, yeah, please uh, join our Patreon. It's the Yikes podcast, just on Patreon. And uh, it helps, yeah, making this podcast sustainable and makes it actually happen and more. Yeah. And also that we put on for the second tier, we put on extra bonus episodes every week. So you get extra content um, where we have like more relaxed chats about so many different things. We've talked about migrant rights a lot on there. We've talked yeah. about more about the media. We've talked about so many different personal things. things. Yeah. Some personal things. Um, it's a really great space as well. We sometimes do Q&As. We mm. share essays on there. Um, you just get more content from us. Yep. And mainly you can support our work if you've learned anything from us. Yeah. Um, so thank you to all the people who are already supporting us. And yeah. yeah, thank you for making this happen. And yeah, please check out the Patreon link in the show notes. And we hope you're enjoying this episode. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's like, how do you do that? Like, Joe and I, we, we started this podcast because we wanted to try and have more nuanced conversations. But then, I don't know, Joe, do you want to speak on that a little bit? Because I find it's a bit tricky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, like, do, like at the moment, like, doing my master's, like, in behavior change, which is focused more on, like, sustainability. But, like, uh, generally, like, a key theme is, like, you know, looking at, like, where people are and, like, trying to trying to find them in, like, like where is the common ground for us to meet because when you have, when you can c- touch on like shared values, that's where usually there's some type of like agency or capacity to like, you know, like at least have a, like start a conversation. Um, and like Instagram, Twitter, like none of those platforms really have that because you go, a lot of people go to like have a debate 
but like a debate means like shouting and screaming and like you know like being mm-hmm. being actually like very mean and like dehumanizing other other individuals because you don't see them as the as the person that that they are and I think like Michaela and I both I mean even I guess like for me at least like speaking for myself like I even saw a lot of activist spaces not seeing there enough nuance around like not everyone you know is on the same learning level that you have experienced mm. like I know that like they have there have been so many incredible people that have called me in and have invested in me and like like whether that's through like sharing resources with me or like calling me in on certain things that I've like said wrongly in the past and I'm sure will continue to do so but like having having like people that have called me in has been such a yeah like such a privilege I suppose um and like knowing that like without that nuance like, I wouldn't, like, you know, it's so easy to completely just, like, shut someone off because we always think we're always right. Like, mm. that's what we're taught. Like, even in school, like, thinking bad of, like, when was I actually taught to look at why my, why I have certain beliefs? And that's not, like, based on facts. Like, that's, like, you know, like, looking off, like, my social status, my identity, my color, like, my my race, my, you know, like, my, all of these things. Like, when when was I taught that? Never, literally. So like, how can we, and I think that's like where I guess like for me, I have to remind myself to be compassionate to other learning curves of like, Mm. we've never been taught that. We've never been taught to be dealt with complexity and having an existential crisis because suddenly you're realizing, shit, man, I am, you know, I am that problem that I thought just existed over there. Yeah. So like, yeah, how do we hold space whilst addressing that like the longer you are in that holding space, the longer you continue to be harmful and violent to other mm. others, that's like I think. Man. Yeah, no, it's huge and it's a huge challenge. But I love. Um, I think what I really kind of go back to in that context a lot is the sort of philosophy around the beloved community, right? Um, so when you kind of study Dr. King beyond the whitewashed version that were being presented mm. and you actually really study you know his writings his work his his um philosophy I guess what I love about the idea of beloved community and that's also why my new business is called beloved what what I was um, gonna ask. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the name comes from um I love that is you know that the philosophy behind the beloved community is this idea that we would create a society where all people can share in, in the wealth of the earth and wealth of the earth meaning both material you know emotional spiritual whatever um and when you read about what his idea behind beloved community was it's it's not a utopia. Like I think sometimes we hear something like that and we're like, oh, this is a utopia where everybody just holds hand and kisses all the time, you know, like, but that's not what it is. But what it is, is a space of dignity and mutual respect. And I think this brings me back to the earlier thing about the only way we can build a beloved community is if we have healthy humans, because it's only if you're a healthy person that you are going to have enough um, healthy self-confidence to go, if someone calls me in or if someone points out I did something wrong, I'm not going to crumble. I'm not going to be like mm. at the end of myself and be like, oh my God, I made a mistake. Now I'm going to hide and never speak again. Or the other extreme of, oh no, I never get, do you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. You've got to be a healthy human. And if we can help people become healthy in themselves, this is why one of my big pillars is mental health and well-being because I think 
we have to we have to attack this beast from all angles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we want to dismantle white supremacy. Of course we do. But who are the people who are going to build the new world? Mm. Are they healthy people? Are we actually mm. in a place where once white supremacy is dismantled, and obviously it's not a timeline like that, but you know what I mean, mm. that the that we're actually healthy enough to build the beloved community? Because it's mm. not a, a space free from conflict. It's not a space free from, but it's a space where we in nonviolence and on the basis of respect and love for our fellow human being are interacting with each other. If you're not healthy, you can't do that. So I think it's so important to, again, holistically look at the challenge at hand and go, well, this person that constantly pushes back on the racism conversation, what are they experiencing that's making them so unhealthy that they can't listen? And who is around them? And this is a call for white people and white allies who can help them get healthy because I have, I am convinced if you're a healthy human being you're going to see racism for what it is and you're going to want to change it Mm. so i don't know that's my five cents on that one (laughs) Mm. no there was so much said there that was so or even like we could do a whole episode on the whitewashing of dr king's of dr king's words as well just threw that in there for extra spice (laughs) yeah extra spice (laughs) oh so many great because joe and i've also been talking a lot about like being healthy and not burning out in activism, the ascent, like how essential that is. And what you're saying is that people are going to have to be, we need people who can create these like new hope, hopeful spaces. And those people can't be burnt out and tired. And that's why like, I guess looking after ourselves. Like when we talk about rest is resistance, that's what I see rest is resistance being is because like, if we want to be resisting for a long time, we've got to be healthy and we've got to be present and able to do that. Um, oh, so many wonderful things said there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I guess also like something that I know like we did in our in our group work, like in the in the course that Jess and I were doing, um, you know, was looking at like restorative practices and was looking at like how can we foster you know that accountability and because as you said, like suddenly conflict will not just like be gone, like there will continue to be conflict, and obviously when we look at issues like intersectionally, like. There are so many different systems at play that like, uh, like if the one thing, like there will be different spaces where different systems spike up. So like, how do you know, like that, like fostering of like, or like growing new systems, like, yeah, how can we do that in a collective and like, you know, be in that like holistic, healthy way that is actually like enabling us to have that healthy community Mm. that we are dreaming of and as you said like it's not like one utopian vision like it will be many different ways that we Mm. that will you know exist um Mm. and not you know like we don't know what that might look like for you know I certainly Mm. won't know what that will look like but um yeah I really yeah I really love that Oh, I feel like we could carry on speaking for so long yes probably wrap up um (laughs) but yeah I I literally, so I messaged Joe during this to be like, I love Jess. <laughs> like, but honestly, uh, I could I could keep chatting for so long, but we know that we, yeah, we've got to wrap it up. We've got to wrap it up. But thank you so much for mm. being on this pod and sharing so much of your wisdom. And everyone should go out and check out Jess's work. Um, it'll be in the show notes and we'll like put links to everything. And 
Well, yeah, we're just so grateful you came and gave your time to Absolutely. chat here. And thank you so much for being it's here. My Do you want to give a shout out um, to some of your work? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess share with us? The, the, best, the best way to connect is probably um, either through my website, which is www.jessmally.com. Um, you've got my blog on there and the young, there's a link to Young King and different things like that. And then just connect on socials. Um, yeah, at Jess Mally and then... Um, trying to think what else is worth mentioning obviously beloved uh www.beloved.agency uh, which is where we're <laughs> trying to do some of this work from the inside so we'll see how that's gonna go um cool. but yeah thank you so much for having me I could have yeah we could chat like for hours and <laughs> if you'll have me I'll come back um yeah thank you so much thank you for the work that you guys are doing thank you for facilitating spaces for nuanced conversation and um you know we're all playing our part in the social change ecosystem so well done everyone so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode i know i loved it i can't wait for jess to be back on yeah <laughs> i already, I already can't wait for her to come back <laughs> i know i'm so excited definitely check out her work um at jess Melly on instagram and she just yeah said her website name we'll link everything in the show notes as well beloved agency on instagram as well and definitely check out her latest work uh young king which you can find on youtube and as uh, an audio track on spotify but the video is stunning so definitely check mm, it out on it's YouTube. so stunning and also if anyone's interested in learning a bit more about civil resistance or direct action or what dr king actually had to say i would say that like a really good starting point is letter from a birmingham jail which you can read for free um online and i would say that that's a really good introduction to what dr king was really trying to say rather than just the whitewashed quotes um that are taken from him um as always this podcast has been hosted by myself michaela loach and josephine becker and uh sound edits wonderful bits are by finlay moed you can follow both of us on instagram you can just Google our names, to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michaela Lodge and Peace and Peace and the Yikes podcast. And thank you to our Patreons for supporting our work, enabling our work, um, just making this possible. Yeah, literally wouldn't be possible without the Patreons. So thank you so much for being here. And we will be back again very soon with another episode. We hope you enjoyed. Make sure you like, subscribe, all that jazz. Like, you can't like a podcast. Well, I'm not a YouTuber. Why am I saying this? Make sure you subscribe, <laughs> you rate, you follow, you share, you engage, you share with everyone who wants to listen to it, and even those who don't. And have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>